Welcome to the December episode of International Voices. I am your host and moderator, Udo Fluck, and I have the great pleasure to oversee the Office of Global and Cultural Affairs in Arts Missoula. To listen to previous episodes, please visit artsmissoula.org, click on Global and Cultural Affairs, and visit radio and podcasts. International Voices is a monthly podcast brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and The Trail, 1033 radio station. My guest in the last episode of 2021 is Matan Samir, Israel's Deputy Council General to the Pacific Northwest. He has been a member of Israeli's Foreign Service since 2011, previously serving as the Deputy Chief of Mission at the Israeli Consulate to Mumbai from 2013 to 2015 and to New England from 2015 to 2018. Samir led a decorated career in the Israeli Defense Forces. He served in the IDF from 2000 to 2003 and retired as a lieutenant. During his service, he trained over 1,000 cadets. In 2003, Matan Samir was honored for his service and received the President's Medal of Excellence for Israel's 55th Independence Day. Before joining the Foreign Service, Matan Samir was an international business manager at a private Israeli telecom company and the director of the training department of the Israeli Supreme Court, a position that was part of Israel's center for citizenship and democracy. Matan Samir grew up in Jerusalem where his family has lived for nine generations. He is an attorney. He received his LLB from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem in 2008. And like any passionate Israeli, Matan enjoys his basketball. And upon moving to San Francisco, he became a proud Golden State fan. Good morning, Deputy Consul General Matan Samir. It is 28 degrees here in Missoula this morning with a light dusting of snow. How is the weather in San Francisco today? So, you know, in Israel, we do centigrade. So it's 28 centigrade. No, I'm kidding. It's a little chilly here in San Francisco. Um, uh, and But clear skies, beautiful day. Um, the typical Bay Area weather. Um, so a little different than what you described. And let me say thank you for having me. I am so happy to be with you here today. Well, um, I'm honored that you're taking the time uh, to talk to us. And um, uh, can you tell me a little bit about the Israelis government's mission in the U.S. and Montana in particular? Yes. So we, Israel has... Um, eight consulates around the United States, San Francisco being one of eight, plus we have our embassy in Washington, D.C. And we, we work to promote the already very special relationship between the United States and Israel on, on many, on, in many areas from our diplomatic government to government ties that is mostly based on our shared values between the United States and Israel to promote business, uh, cultural exchange, and I think a lot of those, and, and 
community relations people to people that is also very important. A lot of that also is relevant to uh, Montana, uh, both on the cultural having Israelis exposed to the rich culture that Montana has. Uh, so, because it is a two-way street, but also promoting Israeli culture and bringing Israeli cinema, Israeli dance, um, Israeli music to the people of Montana, uh, working on promoting businesses, both on the state level between government to government, but also business to business between Israeli-based companies and Montana-based companies. Thank you. Now, um, the region, as far as uh, the states that are under your, um, under your view, so to say, is the entire coast all the way up to Washington and then over to Montana, is that correct? Yeah, we are the consulate to the Pacific Northwest. So we have Northern California, because there's another Israeli consulate down in Los Angeles, and then Montana, Idaho, Alaska, Washington, and Oregon. Oh. Uh, so that's the, so that's kind of like the, yeah, the Pacific Northwest, that's the area we cover. Okay. In last month's podcast, um, I talked about the United Nations Climate Conference in Glasgow. Um, the COP26 just concluded, and Israeli scientists, entrepreneurs, activists, educators, and artists are working on this critical global issue. Can you tell us some specific examples of advances Israel has made in renewable energy and energy conservation? Yes, so even though Israel is a small country, you know, the, the population of Israel is a little over 9 million people, 9.2 million people, and a young country compared to, you know, compared to the United States and our uh, and other countries in Europe and around the world, Israel is only 73 years old uh, and very small. Israel is the size of New Jersey. We still think that we have the responsibility and we have the capacity. Israel is known as the startup nation. So we have the abilities, we have the, the innovative spirit to make a change in the world. So both in terms of what the government is doing in Israel um, just a small example, we, the Israel Foreign Ministry, the ministry that I work for just decided to be the greenest ministry in Israel. There's a really nice competition between the, the different ministries in Israel. And now, if, and I invite everybody to visit Jerusalem and go and see the foreign ministry. You see solar panels all over the roof of the Israeli foreign ministry uh, that just happened recently. Um, but so, but government aside, and I think the private sector in Israel, the innovative, the Israel is number one in the world in startup uh, companies. For for example, those startup companies, the business sector is doing amazing work in terms of green energy, recycling, water innovation, climate innovation, solar panel. The list goes on and on. I can give examples, but but I think Israel has. Uh, much, uh, our impact is much larger, larger than our size. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I, I've known of some of this and particularly I read an article about seawater desalinization. And I wanted to ask you about that specifically. Um, 
And as you just said, while Israel's carbon footprint is small, uh, the country is a world leader in, in, uh, in seawater uh, desalinization. Can you tell us why this is so important, not only for Israel's agriculture, but also for the surrounding countries in the region? Right. Thank, yeah, thank you for that question. Israel, when Israel was founded, uh, like I said, 73 years ago, our founding fathers got uh, our homeland, the uh, land of Israel, and you know, realized that 60% of Israel is a desert. It's arid climate. Uh, it was very challenging to, and what Israel's actual fir the first, our, na our first national project was what we call the national carrier to bring water from the north where we have the Sea of Galilee and all these you know, famous historic Mount Carmel and uh, the Galilee to uh, the south, the south, the 60% that is desert. So very, very quickly, our founding fathers realized that water is an issue and it's uh, scarce all over the Middle East, but especially in Israel. And then throughout the years, uh, like you've mentioned, we, um, Israel has been pioneering with water innovation. And one of the last one, I remember, that in the 90s, Israel has such a severe climate crisis that um, we, all, we thought that, you know, there's a good chance we might have to import water. There was a campaign all over Israeli TV to actually shower in couples. And some people liked it more, some people liked it less. But the situation, during, I remember as a, as a kid, was very bad. And that was the time where the Israeli government decided, no, we're going to use the amazing resource, the Mediterranean, the fact that we can treat uh, seawater and built five uh, desalinization plants, both one in the Red Sea, our, our sudden, most sudden point, but four across the Mediterranean to the point that today, 90, over 90% of the water that's being used at homes in Israel is seawater uh, and treated seawater and 100% of in the water that goes to industrial and um, uh, not agriculture. Agriculture is uh, treated recycled water, but to, to industry is is uh, desalinization is water that can, that seawater and and it's not only now being used by by us by Israel. It's there a project with Jordan. There is a joint project that was just signed last week between the United Arab Emirates, Jordan, and Israel to build a a huge solar plant in Jordan to provide energy to Israel, and in exchange, Israel will provide water to Jordan, because Jordan is suffering. More than 70% of the water in Jordan comes from Israel. So it's a way to, to um, create stability, create peace, deepen the, the peace in the Middle East, which is a very well needed, um, uh, you know, in the Middle East, the one thing the Middle East needs is peace and stability, so it contributes toward that, uh, but also, allow Israel more power and more electricity and then allow the Jordanian the very well needed drinking water. So you're really leading by example in this, and it's not only to the benefit of Israel, but also uh, other countries in the region that are basically looking at this and, and are saying 90% of the water comes from the Mediterranean and is desalinized. Uh, th this is the way to go. Um, which absolutely and uh, just one more thing the water that are used in Israel for agriculture 
uh, 90% of that, the water that we use for agriculture, Israel is also known as a very innovative in the area of agriculture, is, is the recycled water. So Israel recycles more than 85% of our, our water, sewage water. There's a huge plant by Tel Aviv, by the, again, by the coast with the Mediterranean. Right. And the second country after Israel, like I said, Israel is more than 85%. Is I think Spain with 30%. So in a lot of countries, hardly treat any of the, any, uh, hardly recycle any water at all. So, so both in the area of desalinization, but also in the area of um, using recycled water, um, Israel, again, it's both a matter of the necessity because we, we need those water, but also in an innovative way to look at a problem and, and then solve it. Sure. Now, I read that Israel is aiming for zero emissions by 2050, which is, in a way, just around the corner. Can you tell us what others can learn from this ambitious plan? Yes, and the first step of it is to reduce it by 30% by 2030. That I think is more ambitious because, you know, 2030 is really around the corner. Right. Uh, it gradually to invest in those renewable energies and not to do it alone just like i said the project that were that i mentioned with um with jordan and the united arab emirates is part of the abraham accords that i'm not sure everybody's familiar with it but abraham accord is is a is a is a, an agreement that israel signed last year at the white house with united arab emirates bahrain sudan and later joined morocco and of course the united states was the uh, helped uh, putting everything together to create a Middle Eastern um, alliance, peace. Israel hasn't had a peace agreement since 1996. So after 26 years to bring a spirit of hope and peace to the people in the Middle East and through that benefit the people of the countries that I've mentioned in multiple areas. And one of them is energy. So um, by joining forces together in the Middle East, you can have a project like the one that was just signed last week, where the country that can help with, you know, with energy, of the, with, so trying to bridge between the needs and the know-hows throughout the region in a very, I think in a very, very positive way. So those renewable energy sun, there's plenty of sun in the Middle East. Those of you who have been to Israel and around knows, um, creating more of those opportunities is, is, the, is the way to go. Is the, those are the steps towards achieving the goal that you mentioned of zero emissions by 2050. Right. What I think is so neat about this and, and having watched some of the um, climate conference in Glasgow is that it's, it's not an effort by one country and it's not an effort by uh, by a few that will make a difference. It's an effort that needs to be widespread and everybody needs to evaluate what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they can, how, how they can reduce uh, emissions. And so um, hearing about that, how, how there has been a regional uh, agreement that like you said, probably most people don't know about but that this is sort of a step in the right direction to say uh, these things happen all over the world and they also happen in our region and we're driving this and we're making sure that we are uh, gearing up for 2030, which you know eight years from now 
that's going to be the first milestone and then uh, zero admission by 2050. That's really an, uh, an, impressive, um, an impressive model uh, to, uh, to get to that goal. Right. And I have to say that in the, a really good example of that is in the, in the area of um, uh, solar energy and solar power, power Israel, uh, the, um, if you, those of you have been to Israel, and if you visit Israel, you see that most homes, buildings, or private houses have solar panels on their roofs to heat, to heat the, uh, the, um, the shower waters or you know, drinking water. And, sure. uh, and that started from the 70s. The technology of having those solar panels on roofs of, of houses was actually invented in Israel. And from very, I mean, decades ago, the, the government in Israel, but also the people in Israel realized that um, there's plenty of sun around. It, can, it saves a lot of money, but also saves a lot of um, pollution and it helps the planet. If using the, that amazing resource, you, you see, um, you know, all around us, you can actually make a difference. So that's something that was ingrained very deep in the Israeli um, uh, mindset. So, and if you go to the desert, to the Negev, which is, like I said, the southern part of Israel, you see many companies, government projects, universities investing in research of those solar panels, solar energy. A lot of those innovation uh, comes from that, that part of Israel. And then later you see it all over the world. So we started decades ago um, with um, different examples, different projects, different, um, Right. Uh, but yes, and, and now it's, and now it, through the United Nations, through the international community, joining hands together, like I said, in partnership with other countries, we see a difference. Um, in my preparations for uh, this conversation with you, I came across uh, some information that I just, I, I was amazed by um, not realizing that a lot of the tech innovations that we have today and that we take for granted um, actually originated in Israel. And Israeli scientists developed these things and, um, and are at the root of it, uh, even though they, you know, it might have been, like you just said, with solar panels in the 70s, some of these things might be decades back, but they are their origin. I, I was, for example, just, um, uh, when I was reading this, uh, one example was the USB flash drive that we're using today that one cannot even function anymore without a USB flash drive. The original, I think at the time it was called a key drive because it was so small that you could put it on your keychain, was uh, invented by an Israeli uh, startup company uh, in, the, in the tech area. And so as I was doing my research and reading through this, I realized that Israel has this long-standing um, tech innovation uh, history and has more startup companies than most other countries around the world. Um, can the connection to Montana, bringing us back to our start of our conversation today, um, can the connection to Montana be helpful in driving tech innovations and how would that how would that work? Yes, um, I, I agree with you that not a lot of people know that 
a lot of the things we use every day is actually originated in Israel. Uh, the USB flash drive is a really good example. Um, and the list goes on. One example that is very dear to my heart is the drip irrigation technology uh, that was invented in Israel, again, decades ago in the 60s and allows farmers to specify the amount of water each based on the plant, based on the, on the soil that each, uh, each plant needs. And that sole technology, only that invention, really makes a difference in the world. I, my first diplomatic posting was in India, and I've met many Indian farmers who use drip irrigation, because before drip irrigation, it was either sprinklers or in some parts of the world, just waiting for the rain, waiting for floods. Right. Uh, using the, the drip irrigation, Farmers in, in India, in Africa, all over the world can have 10 times the yield on the same piece of land. And I'm sure many farmers who listen to us in Montana use the, the drip irrigation technology. So that's a big, uh, that's a really strong example, in my opinion, that really made a difference in the world. Uh, in terms of Montana, um, the main partnership at this point, and I think it makes a lot of sense because of Montana's strengths and Israel's strengths, is around agriculture. We, the consulate, for example, conducted an event uh, in la last November with the with the former around um, uh, agriculture, where we had Israeli startups showing, uh, presenting a few really great examples of Israeli innovation and uh, entrepreneurship, and it blew my mind because I'm not a uh, an agricultural expert, but just a few examples of things that was presented. This, for example, believe it or not, a dating app to cows whereby AI technology, farmers can identify which bull is the best one and then match it with their own cows, which is, you know, really cool to, to, to find a way to um, maximize the, the way these kind of um, mixes are being matched. Another one is drone use that, that supplement the work of ranchers sure. or GPS colors on cattle, like a really cool uh, stuff that was presented both by Montana-based companies to Israeli farmers or Israeli universities and vice versa. So that was, that was a really great roundtable. And the second area where we, we already partner Montana and Israel is around healthcare. Uh, Montana has a really booming ecosystem, uh, same in Israel, uh, especially today when we are living in still in the area in the age of, or the, the time of COVID. So but not just COVID, there's a lot of medical developments, uh, cool startups that, uh, that are originated both in Montana and in, in Israel, and I know already working together. I do wanna mention that if people wanna reach out directly to the Israeli ecosystem, to Israeli startups, Israeli um, uh, technology, in agriculture, there is an organization called Growing IL, where you have universities, government entities, and startups building a community together. So, by reaching out to Growing IL, you can really find the right partner on the Israeli side and Health IL in the area of healthcare and, and medicine. So these two, if you don't want to go through the consulate, even though we're here to help, um, we're everybody who has a question or a concern can reach out directly to us. But these will be organizations based in Israel that they have the know-how, they are the expert in their field. So that makes a perfect sense to reach out directly to them if um, if there's a need.
No, I appreciate that. And, and I think it's great that you mentioned those uh, organizations so that if there are people that are listening that are interested um, to collaborate, that they have a connection and can pursue that. Thank you, that's great. Um, you just mentioned that in the time of, of COVID, uh, healthcare uh, and healthcare innovations are uh, important as this is not a regional issue, but a global pandemic. Um, Israel has played and continues to play a significant role in the fight for a cure for COVID. Can you elaborate a little bit about what you know has happened and where things are moving towards? Right. Um, from, you know, believe it or not, it's almost two years ago that we live in the time of COVID. I, I look at the calendar and I, I don't believe that it's been, you know, so long that this pandemic has been with us. From very early Israel, since I mentioned Israel is a startup nation and you know very innovative, um, I think we responded um, well. Of course, with the ups and downs with waves like everywhere else in the world uh, and started developing our own version of the vaccine. And Israel is developing a version of a, a cure to COVID. I cannot say I'm not, I know that the research is ongoing um, but what the world can actually learn from Israel is the way the, vac the existing vaccines, um, especially in Israel, it's mostly uh, Pfizer, is, has been affecting the population. And knowing it in the U.S. is a controversial issue, and I'm not jumping into that pool. I'm just, the, the only thing that I'll say is that since Israel is a small country and we have a, a public healthcare system that's very much within the community, the information, the data that comes out of Israel um, is very significant to, for example, the FDA to use later and make decisions based on, because in Israel out of 9.4 million people, uh, sorry, 9.2 million people, 4 million already got the booster. And we, yes, so around 50% around of the population, if you take, don't consider the children, the adult population, has already got the, and we saw that Israel was able to ride the fourth wave in a very, very, in a very well, I mean, we had unfortunately, you know, people dying from the virus and people suffering from the virus, but compared to other countries around the world, especially what we see these days in Europe, uh, in Germany, in the United Kingdoms, in France, in Belgium, Austria, uh, Israel numbers uh, compared to the population were much, much lower because we started giving the boost very early. So by monitoring the, the data and the information coming out of Israel, decision makers around the world can really you know, make a decision and, and learn from it. Um, I wouldn't say we are the laboratory of the world because it doesn't sound well, but we're not, it's not very far from that. Now, our conversation has centered around uh, technology innovations, reducing a carbon footprint, uh, and now um, COVID. I would like to steer um, our conversation to the arts. And um, this idea of art influences society by changing opinions and instilling values and translating experiences across space and time. My question to you, how important is art 
to Israel and its people. So let me start by complimenting you for bringing international arts through Arts Missoula, through the work that you do, bringing culture and arts from around the world to Montana, to Missoula. And I think by that, really allowing people the, the opportunity, the pleasure, the joy of, of all worlds, of seeing culture from around the world. And I think it's, it's priceless. I think it's amazing. Um, Israel is what, what's beautiful about Israel is that we, since we're a small country, we get to enjoy the same thing that I've mentioned. We, of course, we're very, we're very affected by our, our biggest sister, the United States and, and American culture and American music, but we sit very close to Europe. So we get to see a lot of that also. And then we are also in the heart of the Middle East. And 50% um, and of Israelis are actually originated in, in Arab lands. So there is a very strong um, Middle Eastern effect, uh, um, uh, um, themes, motives in Israeli, in Israeli culture. Uh, I think Israeli strength, and I love Israeli arts in all forms, but I think Israeli strength internationally is cinema, cinema and, and television. If you go on whatever streaming channel here, with Netflix, Hulu, HBO, um, Apple, Pla Apple TV, whatever, then you get to see an Israeli TV show or an Israeli movie. The last one that actually won either yesterday or two days ago, the International Emmy, one of the most prestigious or the most prestigious award for an international TV show is Tehran. It's an Israeli-based, an Israeli original TV show that it talks about the complex relationship between Iran and Israel. There are really great Israeli films. Almost every year we are nominated to the foreign film Oscar, uh, uh, the uh, award in, in Los Angeles. So there's there is a really rich, booming culture scene in Israel, in cinema and TV. And then Israel also is, is known for Israeli dance. And I know Missoula is also known for dance. And we are actually exploring the uh, partnership with um, the Rocky Mountain Ballet Theater and um, trying to see how we can bring Israeli dance to Missoula and, and, and Missoula then, uh, Montana dance to, to Israel to partner on that. Um, and of course, Israeli music, and I can go on and on. Culture is an area we can talk forever, right? We do so, but there's a lot going on in Israel to, for people to see and explore. And I would uh, absolutely agree um, with you on the um, film and television front, as I have uh, seen numerous productions. And when um, the uh, Worldview Film Committee, the committee that um, I'm a member of, uh, got together uh, last spring to plan uh, the fall lineup of films. Uh, one of the one of the members said um, we should consider Mr. Gaga. It's an Israeli movie, and uh, and and you know this should be part of the lineup. And so we screened the movies, and and of course Mr. Gaga was in. And um, uh, we are so excited because it's the last film in the fall worldview film series uh, a documentary about israeli uh, choreographer um, ohad naharin um, known for his unique style he has transformed the landscape of contemporary dance in israel 
And the film, Mr. Gaga, will screen at the Roxy Theater on Monday, December 13th at 7 p.m. And we are thrilled that you will be able to join us for that screening and introduce Mr. Gaga to the Missoula community. Uh, thank you also for securing a copy of the film for us through your sponsorship and through the support of the Consulate uh, General of Israel in San Francisco and SG Long Financial in Missoula. The screening is free and open to the public. So again, just what you said, uh, Matan, about um, how important film and uh, television art is uh, in Israel and, and perhaps even as a, uh, as a powerhouse to, uh, to Hollywood or Bollywood or other large um, uh, film producing countries and regions, um, Israel has certainly established uh, itself in, uh, in producing uh, films and, and television shows that, uh, that have a unique perspective and tell a story from uh, from a different area in the world. So I, I, um, I, I'm thrilled that we have Mr. Gaga in the lineup. Just like music, art is a universal language. Communication can happen through the arts. How important is this communication for Israeli artists? Um, I, I want to say about just one thing about Mr. Gaga is that I'm, I'm happy that we get the chance to screen it in Missoula. It's a very powerful movie. movie. Uh, you know, we're used to the traditional way of dancing, like dances, balls, dances, you know, pasadoble. But now this guy, Yohanna Arin, that you mentioned, just invented this whole new language of dance, right. which is for people to see. Uh, and then the, my motive was to have the, of course, the movie screen in Missoula, but my, my alternative motive is the chance to come and visit Missoula again. Because I was only in Missoula once and I fell in love with the city. It's, it's a beautiful city by, you know, by the mountains. And, it's, and I like, you know, we spoke a earlier is that the chance to see Missoula with uh, maybe snowy mountaintops. So I'm excited to, to experience a little bit of winter in, in Montana. Um, and then to answer your question, I think we've been in touch with a lot of Israeli artists. Uh, and they have this passion of um, showcasing the art within Israel because that's their, you know, it's a small country. So it's, it's very familiar. It's like their family and their friends and their circles. And uh, the city of Tel Aviv is, 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 like you said, a powerhouse of culture. But I think because Israel is a strong, is a small country, there is a very also strong passion for artists to, to export, to expand, to allow communities from around the world um, witness firsthand the uniqueness of Israeli culture, the uniqueness of the work that's coming out of Israel. So I think Israeli artists are, are, are playing both fields uh, in a way, and, and, and it's exciting. And, and I, you're right. I mean, it's, this communication can happen uh, in, in many different levels. It can happen between the artists within a country but it can also happen with artists outside on a global on a global scale, and uh, and that is that is really nice to hear. Um, we're coming to the end of, of um, my questions and our last uh, podcast for 2021, um, and I would like to um, 
Matan, just talk a little bit about the connection between um, culture and art and the idea that there can be no art without culture and no culture without art because they are so closely connected. How does this apply to Israeli culture and the arts and how can the world learn about um, Israel through the arts? Yes, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think the boundaries these days between culture and art are very, like they're not very clear. So there is so many things going on in Israel that uh, maybe years ago would not be considered art that um, is now is being very prominent and very powerful in Israel. One example is, is food, is culinary, something that we're all, I mean, I'm, I'm going to speak, about, I'm going to say we all, but I'm going to speak on behalf of myself that we love and we, we enjoy. And it became such a, an amazing part of our life. Um, is, it's, it's a known fact that um, Israelis used to, years ago, to, our, our body used to be made 80% out of hummus. Because hummus and falafel are like the foods that we all eat in Israel. But these days, when you visit Israel, and of course, I encourage everybody to, to visit Israel, because finally, again, after two years of, almost two years of COVID, our gates are open again, and international travelers are, are, are more than invited. Um, there is such a great culinary uh, uh, scene that's also, again, unique, because it has a Middle Eastern, uh, European, American influences. Um, and Israel is, a, is a, just like the United States, is a land of immigrants. So Jews came from, and non-Jews came from all over the world, 73, throughout our 73 years and built this very diverse um, e ecosystem. That So food, fashion, um, design, there's so many um, great things happening in Israel that in that sphere that maybe, again, a few years ago would not be considered that, but today are very much so. So there is a, um, so many ways to experience Israel through culture um, uh, and through the uh, Tel Aviv is not Jerusalem, are the down in Elad, the city of Elad in a, in a certain part of Israel, the city of Haifa, all these locations. And the great thing about visiting Israel is that in, a, in about a week, since Israel is small, you get to see the rich culture vibe of Tel Aviv, the fun parties, not life, food. Uh, 45 minutes Jerusalem with, you know, thousands of years of archaeology and history and religion. Um, you know, the, the most, the holiest sites to Christianity, Judaism, and, um, and, and one of the most, not the most, but one of the most holiest sites to Islam is, is in the land of Israel. Um, so churches and mosques and synagogues, and of course, the, the Temple Mount, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, and then go to the Dead Sea, again, 45 minutes drive, and enjoy leisure and 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 fun and um, there's a lot going on in a small country, uh, and I think the last thing that I'll say about that is the culture. In in my opinion, a lot of what culture is in in a country is its people, right? And what they present, right? So, but um, and Israelis are known to be just like people in Montana, very warm, very open, very friendly. You can like, you know. Catch an Israeli down the street, ask him a bunch of questions, he'll show you around. There's a good chance he'll invite you to dinner at his house or her house. So that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, if if one or two say no, don't blame me, but but you know what I'm saying. Like, 
that's the openness of, of like the Israeli vibe. So, and and by, by I can only testify uh, based on one one week I spent in Montana, but I felt very welcome, and the hospitality in Montana was very it was amazing for me. It was very warm. So right. that's strong similarity, and that's part of the culture of a place. Right, and I I totally agree with you. When we think about cultural diplomacy, um, it's it, it's best done by people to people interaction and. And so, you know, thank you for your kind words earlier about um, Arts Missoula and the work we do in trying to uh, to promote art um, in, in Missoula with our artists, but also with connections that we have uh, to um, other places in the world. Um, our two sister cities, uh, Palmerston North in New Zealand and Neckargemünde in Germany, um, uh, but also to um, other places in the world where we make connections, like our conversation today with you, learning about Israel, learning uh, about things that um, I didn't know about, and I'm sure that uh, uh, our listeners uh, were um, not aware of. And so I think the idea of communicating um, with each other and in that communication, um, passing on cultural information uh, and, and, and really learning from each other and this willingness, like you said, uh, that that Israel has um, with its surrounding uh, countries, but also with the rest of the world to communicate and to share um, art and culture uh, is, is why we have Mr. Gaga in our lineup and why I enjoyed our conversation with you today so much, uh, Matan. Thank you. Uh, and again, I just want to make sure that everybody knows to the International Voices listeners, please join us for the screening of Mr. Gaga, the last film in the Fall Worldview film series on Monday, December 13th at 7 p.m. at the Roxy Theater. And we look very much forward to having you, Matan, as our special guest that evening. Thank you very much for your time today. Happy holidays to you and your family, and we will see you in just a couple of weeks in Missoula. Thank you very much. My December International Voices podcast guest was Israel's Deputy Consul General to the Pacific Northwest, Mr. Matan Zamir. Thank you all for listening. Those of you who are regularly tuning in to International Voices know that being of German descent, I usually end with a German farewell. Danke schön fürs Zuhören. International Voices is brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and the Trail Radio Station 1033. This and previous International Voices podcasts can be found at artsmissoula.org and the trail 1033.com. If your interests are in global and intercultural education, programming, cultural and global competence, and international affairs, we hope you join us again next year when the first episode of International Voices in January of 2022 will be published. <laughs>